this message is titled uh, 12 Steps for a Recovering Pharisee. Um, I'm sharing this um, not because I think that there's a whole room full of Pharisees in here, but because it's, it's a dangerous thing that we can easily fall into. And especially the longer that you've been a Christ follower, the easier it is to fall into uh, an attitude or a mindset that is like a Pharisee. And uh, so for those of you who are newer uh, at following Christ and are just babies in the faith, uh, don't, don't be discouraged by this, but just take it as a warning and uh, learn from it what you will. I just want to share with you uh, that uh, this message is originally mine, but um, the thought and the title and the actual 12 steps uh, are, are from a guy named John Fisher. And I'll always let you know when I'm borrowing ideas or material, so just want to let you know that. But let me just share with you uh, 12 steps for recovering Pharisees, since we are talking about freedom. One, I admit my most single unmitigated pleasure is to judge other people. It's justice for them, and I deserve mercy. Two, I admit that I have come to believe that my means of obtaining greatness is to make everyone lower than myself in my own mind. Three, I realize that I detest mercy being given to those who, unlike me, haven't worked for it and don't deserve it. I have decided, here's a turning point in uh, these uh, 12 steps, I have decided that I don't want to get what I deserve after all, and I don't want, to, want anyone else to either. I will cease all attempts to apply teaching and rebuke to anyone but myself. I am ready to have God remove all these defects of attitude and character. I embrace the belief that I am and will always be an expert at sinning. I am looking closely at the lives of famous men and women in the Bible who turned out to be ordinary sinners just like me. I am seeking through meditation and prayer to make a conscious effort to consider others better than myself. I embrace the state of astonishment and permanent and as a permanent and glorious reality. And I choose to rid myself of any attitude that is not bathed in gratitude. And having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I will try to carry this message to others who think that Christians are better than everyone else. Hi, my name is Shannon, and I'm a recovering Pharisee. Thanks. All right, some of you know the routine. Thank you. It's hard to pass up the thrill of passing judgment on another human being. It's real easy for the self-righteous to hold court and indulge in mental sentencing without being willing to bring any of my own actions, thoughts, and motivations into the light. On an average day, here's me. On an average day, I might condemn my daughters for numerous times for a messy room. Condemn my son for laziness. My wife for working too hard. Or raising the standard, I should say. Um, even my dog for her bad odor. I condemn her. I judge her. I can't pick up the newspaper and find, 
And I can pick up the newspaper and I can find whole groups of people that I can judge as sinful, arrogant, ignorant, stupid, or childish. Lumping people together at once and dispatching the whole lot of them is a very effective means. I get in my car and I start driving and I find a host of inept vehicle operators who all have failed their driving test. I arrive at the bank and my, I find myself in line behind another group of people who obviously can't add or subtract or they wouldn't take so long at the counter. I make everything that's wrong with the world someone else's fault. My eyes look out instead of looking in. I overlook my own self-contradictions and don't ever think to put myself on the witness stand in my own mind. Why be questioned when I can be the judge? With the idea of a 12-step recovery program for a Pharisee, I'm not making fun of recovery programs, not at all. But I have the hope of borrowing this recovery model as a way of unmasking and freeing us from the intoxication of spiritual pride and prejudice that continually lures believers away from grace, gratitude, and a life of astonishment and freedom that the Spirit of God desires for us. The Pharisee attitude and practice is not just a problem that affects the church or churchgoers, but everyone at some point. It really does. It's built in to human nature. Acceptance based on performance was how most of us began our lives. And it's not an easy thing to shake off. In biblical history, this is called the Old Covenant, the law. It, it was required a standard of performance that was impossible to pull off, inconsist, pull off consistently. God purposely gave the Old Covenant to show us that we cannot live according to its precepts. It was there to break us. The inability to follow the standard along with the humility of recognizing our sin and selfishness qualifies us for a Savior, someone who will fulfill the law of the Old Covenant on our behalf and grant us rightness with God as a free gift. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. This is God's grace given to us in the New Covenant through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Galatians uh, has been the inspiration for this series on freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This slavery is a slavery to sin, which I talked about last week, and how Jesus wants us to be free from. But there is another way that people can be entrapped and find themselves without freedom. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 3 where he asks the people, Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? The answer to that question is believing what you heard, if you were wondering. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? There is a danger of losing our freedom by making a switch from living by what has been freely given to living by what we earn. It is the danger of becoming entrapped in a mindset that has us judging, controlling, prideful, and keeping an attitude of the Pharisee. A Pharisee was someone in Jesus' day who found a way to make the old covenant work for them. 
making the new one unnecessary in their eyes. They were self-righteous. They were the official interpreters of the laws of God. And they were adapted the standard of God through their own interpretation until the law became something that wasn't impossible to perform for them. Although it was still difficult, meticulous, and burdensome. You know, instead of letting the law or the old covenant break them, they made loopholes so that they could avoid the humility and really fulfill the essence of the old covenant. That we can't live up to it. It's there to break us. So instead of me telling more information about Pharisees, let me just read a couple of stories Jesus told that cut to the heart of the problem of a Pharisee. And I think you'll understand more why Jesus was so hard on these guys and why we don't want to get entrapped into a Pharisee's life. The first story I want to read to you is, is one that Sue briefly read. I just want to, I want to read it again out loud. Jesus said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this guy here, this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Wow. Aside from this Pharisee praying to himself, did you notice that? He wasn't really addressing God, which, I mean, made his prayer irrelevant since he was talking to himself. But, he, I mean, he was praying for show. For his own benefit. You start seeing the Pharisee attitude with the story, but, but look at his thanksgiving that he gives to God. It's very interesting. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm not like other men. I am different. I'm better. It's the creed of the Pharisee to be better than everyone else and to devise means of measuring and comparing that support of his assessment of himself. Notice he said, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The Pharisee had established an attainable standard for himself that becomes a measure of his own rightness with God and a yardstick for judging others. It's his loophole. You know what? Certainly robbers and evildoers were not fasting or giving a tenth. You know why? Because the robbers and evildoers and adulterers have no clue this game is even going on. They don't care. They don't care at all. It's silly. It's stupid. This is the whole pleasure in judging. We call the shots. We make the rules. We draw the line in the sand, and then we step over it, leaving everyone else on the other side. It's a foolproof way to feel good about ourselves. It's the way I can place value on myself by repeatedly finding someone further down the moral ladder or finding something afoul with those further up. Jesus told the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law! And Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces! You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those 
enter who are trying to. Such a sad state. Such a sad state. Why don't they enter? Why doesn't the Pharisee enter? Because entering might mean losing control. For the Pharisee, being the gatekeeper and controlling who gets in and stays out is more desirable than actually enjoying the fruits when you enter in. If what Jesus says is true, that heaven is made up of people who arrive there on no merit of their own, then these guys are out of a job. Instead of basking in the sense of worthiness that comes from God's love and acceptance through Jesus, they would rather hold on to their self-appointed role as gatekeepers, hanging on to the keys to something they never experienced. The Pharisees like to have control over the rules of the game. So I, or I guess I should say, the rules that they've made up. When Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, he said he was not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He countered the, the redefined rules of the Pharisees had come up with, and he gave the essence of the law back to them, saying, and telling them what was important was justice, mercy, and faithfulness. With Jesus, do not murder became do not become angry with anyone. Do not commit, commit adultery becomes do not look upon a woman lustfully. Don't break your oath becomes don't swear at all. Divorce only with a certificate becomes divorce equals adultery. With justice redefined by Jesus like this, who can escape being condemned, being wrong, not measuring up? No one. We don't stand a chance. None of us. See, Jesus caught the Pharisees and us at the heart of our schemes. The Pharisaical goal is to make the commands of righteousness just easy enough for me to follow, but too difficult for most everyone else. That will allow me to look pretty good while leaving plenty of people to judge. But here's what Jesus was trying to do. He was giving everybody the chance to know the mercy of God. Only when justice has forced someone to realize their guilt can the mercy of God come into play. God sets us up for his kindness by hitting us hard with his impartiality. See the old covenant, the law, there to break us, show us that we can't measure up, it's there to lead us to Jesus Christ. To lead us to the cross and say, this is what I need. I do need a Savior. Because I don't measure up. Yet here's the rub. Even after hearing about God's mercy, I still screw things up by choosing mercy for me and justice for everyone else. You see, I, I like the idea of God having mercy on me because, you know, I'm an exceptionally nice guy. I deserve mercy. But all those scoundrels out there who cheat on their wives, no way. It's justice for them. But I can't have it both ways. If I want justice and judgment for others, then I announce that this is the same basis I want everyone evaluated, including myself. Didn't Jesus say that in the Sermon on the Mount? I think it's the most popular verse in America now. Do not judge or you'll be judged too. I think people just stick with the first part of it. Do not judge. They just quote that. You know what the rest of the verse says? With the same measure you use, with the same little measuring stick you measure other people, if you, if you do that, I mean, it's not saying don't do it. I mean, I mean, you can. You can 
Well, I guess he did say, do not judge. But why he was telling us that? If you use that little measuring stick, your, your measuring stick, God says the rule is on that. So that measuring stick is going to come back around and it's going to be used on you. So he says, just don't do it. <laughs> just don't judge. Let God take care of that. Look, if I want mercy for me, then I have to allow it for everyone else. Even those who, in my estimation, are worse sinners than me. If you want justice for all, you get everyone condemned, including yourself. If you want the cross and empty tomb for all, then you have mercy for all, including yourself. God is just, and he does grant mercy instead of the condemnation we deserve. But he does ask for a life of faithfulness. Faithfulness is in contrast to perfection. Faithfulness means being authentic, loyal, devoted, and consistent. You see, an alcoholic who regularly shows up for AA meetings is faithful. She may slip and fall, but she is faithful to get up again. She may lie to her supervisor, but she's faithful to tell the truth when she's confronted. Faithfulness allows for failure. Perfection does not. Here's another value that some of us recovering Pharisees might admit or confess. Working for something and deserving it are near and dear to a Pharisee's heart. Earning and deserving punishments and rewards are the matters that make up a Pharisaical life. Unfortunately, these are the things that hinder the enjoyment and appreciation of God's gifts. I want to enjoy God's gifts. I don't want to miss out. Here's another story from Jesus that cuts to the heart of the Pharisee. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around, meaning there's probably only about one hour left in the workday. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Well, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Why wouldn't a Pharisee like this story? It's because they identified with the first workers. Because they had worked their whole lives to earn their reward. The later workers were poor and the lame, and the blind, and the leprous, and the tax collectors, all the riffraff that seemed to gather around Jesus. The Pharisees could never accept that what they had worked so hard for, someone else 
could get for almost nothing. The heart of the Pharisee is voiced in the mouths of the first workers of the story. You have made them equal to us. It was not only equal pay they were bothered about, it was equal worth and personhood. The Pharisees couldn't stand being put on the same level as everyone else. The last point of the story is really hard for the Pharisees' heart. It's the generosity of God. Jesus refers to this vast and glorious and sometimes reckless generosity of God. The generosity of God knows no bounds and is no respecter of persons. If your whole system is built on respecting some people over others, then the grace of God will not be a welcome thing to you because it flows unequivocally to everybody. Imagine hearing that all people who repent of their sin and turn to Christ can have every spiritual thing you have been working for so diligently and they can have it immediately by faith. It hardly seems fair. No wonder this wasn't good news to the Pharisees. Suddenly everybody is getting paid the same thing. Scoundrels are getting ushered into the kingdom of God. The first workers had no gripe about their own pay. It was the other guy's pay that bothered him. So it will always be with the Pharisees. But here is the wonderful part where we need to keep our hearts. Imagine, imagine the workers who got paid a full day for one hour of work. Just imagine them. They got that money plunked down in their hand from the foreman. And they're looking at each other, walking off. And they're saying, do you think that foreman made a mistake? And the natural human response would be, I don't want to know. And you keep walking. The point here isn't dishonesty. I'm talking about grace freely offered. When you've gotten more than you deserve, you don't want to talk about what you deserve anymore. You know if you got what you deserved, it would be less than this. That's the way it is with God's grace. People who have received it don't care anymore about measurements. They know how it will turn out if they start counting. They obviously have received more than they deserve. They're just happy to take it, and they don't really care what amount anybody else gets either. This generosity of God, this mercy out of control, is something we can be overjoyed about. For a Pharisee, it more than likely is disturbing because it means giving up control. The mercy of God puts everyone on the same level. Another tough one for Pharisees. There's no spiritual stages in mercy. There are no big sins and little sins. The mercy of God is God's business. And I have nothing to say about who gets it and who doesn't, except to be overjoyed that I, for reasons unknown to me, have been one who's been able to receive that mercy too. This kind of joy can make you giddy. It can make you act like a little kid. It can bring back the childlike wonder that you once knew. Being childlike, we don't assume that we know anything. When you're childlike, there's a humility that comes with the true knowledge of God's mercy. We approach the things of God with, with this wide-eyed amazement and lap up everything we can get. <coughs> you feel like... <coughs> excuse me. You feel like that you have such a long way to go, but happy to be on the right road. 
There's learning and yearning when you're childlike. It would be unthinkable to apply a teaching to anyone but to ourselves because we assume everyone knows more than we do. This is the opposite of the Pharisee who thinks they're an expert at everything. They apply truth to everyone but themselves. They're experts who have ceased learning and become critics. But old believers should always feel new. If you've been following Christ for a while, you should always feel new, always feel childlike. The way out for us recovering Pharisees who maybe have grown old again but want to be childlike again is to take everything we know and apply it to ourselves as part of our recovery and leave everyone else to the Lord. Faith is always new. Only children get into the kingdom of God. Only children get into the kingdom of God. For those who maybe don't understand, I'm not talking about child age-wise. I'm not talking about maturity. Old is not part of the vocabulary for the faith. Learning, growing, yearning for more is part of our vocabulary. The definition of the word disciple is a learner. And there is no evidence that the disciples of Jesus ever stopped being disciples. They kept on being disciples. Read the New Testament and substitute learners for disciples anywhere you see it. And you might readily find yourself among them. John 8.31 If you hold to my teaching, you are really my learners. By this all men will know that you are my learners if you love one another. John 13.35 This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my learners. John 15.8 So the word of God spread. The number of learners in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Acts 6.7 The num- then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the learners, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Learners, I can be one of them. You can too. Forget about everybody else and just follow Jesus. There's great liberty in this. It's a letting go. It's freedom. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus with an honest question. Not a trap or a trick question. He asked Jesus if he was really from God. Because he saw the things that Jesus did. And there was something in him that said, this is no ordinary man. He has to be who he says he is. And Jesus didn't answer him directly. He didn't give him a straight answer. Why didn't he? Jesus obviously thought that Nicodemus couldn't understand anything about the Messiah, the Christ. Or he couldn't understand anything about the kingdom of God unless he experienced another kind of birth first. So Jesus told Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus responded to that with with an ironic question. It would be good for any Pharisee to try to answer. How can you be born when you're old? How can you be ignorant when you know so much? How can you become a child when you're an adult? How can a teacher become a learner? How does a blind guide admit they are blind? The answer 
is to be born again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The answer is salvation. The answer is the gospel. The answer is there. We just need to remind ourselves of it and embrace, embrace it every day. I had a friend who was uh, quite popular and he was always being interviewed by folks about his Christianity, about his faith. And one radio interviewer asked him, he said, are you, are you born again? You know what he said? Every day. Every day. Some of us need to grab on to that attitude. Become a child in our faith. Become childlike in our approach to Jesus. Let me read you those 12 steps again. I admit my most single, most unmitigated pleasure is to judge other people. I've come to believe that my means of attaining greatness is to make everyone lower than myself in my own mind. I realize that I detest mercy being given to those unlike me who haven't worked for it, don't deserve it. I've decided that I don't want to get what I deserve after all. And I don't want anyone else to either. I will cease all attempts to apply teaching and rebuke to anyone but myself. I'm ready to have God remove all these defects of attitude and character. I embrace the belief that I will always be an expert at sinning. I'm looking closely at the lives of famous men and women of the Bible who turned out to be just ordinary sinners like me. I'm also seeking through meditation and prayer to make a conscious effort to consider others better than myself. I embrace the statement, the state of being astonished as a permanent and glorious reality in my life. And I choose to rid myself of any attitude that is not based in gratitude. And having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I will try to carry this message to others who think Christians are better than everyone else. I just want to pray and uh, ask God to make us like children again. And those who already are like children, that you'll stay childlike. All right. Lord God, we're just so sorry. So sorry for how we've been so unlike you. So unmerciful. So ungenerous. We've been selfish, Lord. God, forgive us for going back to old ways of thinking that it's all about earning. Earning your acceptance. God, help us to remember that you gave us a gift. That's life. And then you gave us mercy when we deserve punishment instead. God, help us to be, as you said in the Beatitudes, to be merciful, to be poor in spirit, to mourn our own sin, to hunger and thirst for righteousness that is not within us but is found only in you. Help us, Lord, to be pure in heart so we might see you. 
pure in heart just like a child. Help us to be meek, letting go, letting you control. God, thank you. And I pray that you continue to work among us, continue to speak to our hearts. Help us to really listen to you. Lord, help us to encourage each other, to uplift each other. In Jesus' name, amen.